Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So I remember a long time ago you were talking about this uh, huge project that you were embarking on around cancer research. Right. So my day job is a data scientist, but there was this big research project or government policy project, I don't know what you would call it, called the Cancer Moonshot that was being done through the White House. And we had the opportunity to help out on that a little bit. It was super cool. Awesome. Let's talk about it. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so maybe just for uh, people who haven't heard that episode, because that was quite a while ago, uh, can you maybe give a summary of what the project was originally about? Yeah, so the question for us was, we are we're data scientists, we're not cancer researchers. Right. But the question for us was, how can data be brought to bear more effectively in the fight against cancer? And so we had to kind of very quickly come up to speed on how cancer research is done, um, and then take that and and mix it in with a heavy dose of our knowledge about machine learning, engineering, the the computer systems that you need to deal with these data sets, what kinds of data sets are available, how are people using them, how could they be using them, um, and sort of turn that into a set of recommendations for the vice president about how we thought, what's a what's a plan of action for making data more effective in the fight against cancer. Right. It seems like uh, data science still kind of feels like a new field in a sense, and it, it seems like there are a lot of areas uh, of research, product work, all ki- all the kinds of stuff that we talk about on the podcast that doesn't necessarily really utilize the full potential of what data science, machine learning, all of that stuff has to offer. Yeah, so there's been a lot of really good research that's been done around cancer, of course, and there's many different kinds of research. That was one of the things that made it really challenging to get a handle on this field um, because you have computational work where they're looking for, oh man, all kinds of different like pure computational work, like looking at various compounds that you think hypothetically could be effective against certain uh, types of mutations or certain uh, symptoms. You have basic research, which is looking at things like doing genomic sequencing and looking at cells in test tubes and things like that. Then there's clinical research, which is where you have hypothetically some new kind of drug or some new other kind of therapy, and you're actually trying it out on patients and and the various stages that uh, a therapy will go through um, towards getting um, approved by the FDA so it can be widely used. Uh, there's And there's also population-level research, so trying to understand what demographic groups are most affected by cancer, are there certain... Um, economic factors that might be important, where are people getting certain kinds of cancers, um, you know, how does it affect people at different ages, all those kinds of things that you need to have an entire population to start to get your handle on. So huge amounts of data are being collected to, you know, to study all of these questions. And so it's not that they don't have data science, although they might, they might call it something a little bit different, but clearly we still have uh, you know, over a million cases of cancer every year, and um, hundreds of thousands of people die of it every year. So, to a certain extent, a lot of that effort has been very successful. But in another sense, there's still obviously a lot of work to be done. And what part of that can can we maybe address using data? So, so in a sense, this was kind of like a, a meta study. Like in science, a lot of times you'll have studies where you actually go out and you do research and you collect uh, data. And then you have meta studies, which kind of look at the conclusions of all of these different studies uh, 
and you're not actually doing any new research, you're more compiling things together. So this is similar in that you weren't actually going out and collecting new data, you were looking at all the data that's out there and trying to draw good conclusions from that using new means. Yeah, it was even sort of a meta-meta study. So you can imagine that an individual researcher in cancer might say something like, oh, well, let's look into platinum-based chemotherapies and how those affect you know, stage two liver cancer or something. And then there might be a meta-study that looks at many different kinds of platinum-based chemotherapies for liver cancer and compiles some you know, um, conventional knowledge about what the state of platinum-based chemotherapy for liver cancer is. This is, I don't even know if they use platinum-based chemotherapy for liver cancer. This is just an example, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is that that's still kind of a narrow view of things. Um, so the way that we actually ended up doing this research was we read some papers and and went through some slide decks and those sorts of things, but the bulk of the research was actually talking to people in the cancer field. And they were people within the cancer field who I don't think talk to each other that much because it's just such a huge field. Or not all of them talk to each other. So we, we, after a certain point, I think had a much broader view, not as deep of a view, certainly, but a much broader view than most people who work in cancer about what's going on. So we talked to researchers at various um, uh, cancer centers, at academic institutions. We talked to people who worked in the data infrastructure and and how do we actually compile and maintain these data sets. We talked to the registrars, who are the people who maintain the population-based studies. We talked to patients. We talked to insurance companies. We talked to hospital administrators. We talked to lawyers, actually. A significant part of what's going on around cancer data is legal. It's not technical. Um, And so from all of that, each of those people, you know, has some idea of, of course, they know their core area of competency, and they might know the areas of competency that are most directly adjacent to it. But I think we actually got a really interesting set of perspectives talking to such a broad spectrum of people and starting to tie together the common themes that arose again and again, because then as you're talking to these people and you're getting their input on what's important and what do they think the field needs in order to use data more effectively, you know, there are certain things that just come up again and again in those conversations. And so if it keeps bubbling up all over the field, then that gives you a lot of confidence or gave us a lot of confidence that, that this is, this is real. And this is something that needs to have sort of our attention come to it. So now that the project is over, can you talk a little bit about some of the conclusions that you drew from it? Yeah, definitely. So we had three big parts of of the puzzle that we ended up settling in. The first is infrastructure. What are the pieces of computational infrastructure that need to be built in order to assemble a data set that has sort of all the components that we want? So we said, there's all this data that's being taken out there, and that's really great. The problem is that it's all spread out. And there's no good way that you can take the data set from one institution and merge it with the data set from another institution and get something that's bigger than the sum of the parts. The uh, whole okay. the whole goal here is to make the data more accessible and to make it easier to use. And so what we found is that there's a lot of systems that are trying to aggregate that data. Most of them are not particularly effective, either because they're not big enough or because they don't have the technical capabilities to handle like the bigger and bigger data sets that we get that are associated with things like genomic sequencing. And so what we said is that, look, there's no, there's no single system out there that we've seen 
that's going to solve this once and for all. And moreover, we don't see anyone who's working in this space who has such a critical mass of data behind them that they can solve this problem. And so we said that's something that the government should take a lead on, um, building the computational infrastructure, like the servers and the databases mm-hmm. and right. the you know the connections and all this sort of stuff so that people can actually just like store and maintain the data in a way that makes it as as useful as possible to other people. And there are some various technical aspects of what that means. Um, and there were some pilot projects that we, we were really, really impressed with and we think are a good step in the right direction. Um, but saying that that should be a major, in the same way that the federal government built the highway system and just said like, right, this is a public yeah. good and we're going to do it. We said like, do the same thing with computational infrastructure for doing data science on medical data. Like, Got it. So although there are some large companies out there that might be fairly well poised to do this research, like I'm thinking companies like Google or whatnot, uh, the incentive, the incentives aren't necessarily entirely there. Uh, what we need is some sort of, of federal funding for such a large project because otherwise it might not get done. Yeah. And I mean, it might be that like the underlying infrastructure, there could be a role that Google or Amazon or somebody like that would have to play in terms of where are these computers actually going to be. Right. Yeah. But, it's it's yeah. very easy to throw something up on Amazon's cloud or something like that. And the government might choose to do something like that. Well, and the other thing about the cloud that's nice is that it it has a better track record of continuing to evolve and to grow as the demands that you place on it expand because we know the data sets that we're dealing with right now are gigantic and we can barely handle them. Um, imagine where we're going to be in 10 years when <laughs> genomic right. sequencing is something that you can do for a hundred dollars or whatever. So right. yeah, you know, thinking about the technologies that are not just the technologies that are going to work today, but the technologies that are going to be able to evolve so that they work still in 10 years. Like that was something that we were really thinking about. So infrastructure is number one. What's number two? Yeah, number two is, so imagine you have your your beautiful database. It is ready for the data to come in. You have, say, lots of processing power that's attached to it so you can run the really computationally intensive machine learning algorithms. Great. Right. You need to get the data in there. Uh And this is... Wait, is this like get the data in there technically or get the data in there like legally? Legally. So, Uh, yeah. Oh, so this is interesting. So a lot of the problems that we see in the technical world are not actually technical problems. They're either social problems or they're legal problems. And I guess legal problems are kind of a a subset of social problems. Uh, They're problems that are imposed on us by humans as opposed to by uh, sheer like mathematics or sheer computational ability. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the world that we live in with this one. We yeah. call this data sharing. So there's there's two big aspects of it that we think need to be fixed. Number one is that there's a set of privacy, security, confidentiality laws surrounding medical data, which mm-hmm. is totally appropriate. And, you know, we should not be cavalier about people's medical data. Um, on the other hand, these laws, I'm thinking primarily of HIPAA, but there's actually a lot of them and they're, they operate on like the state level. So you potentially have 50 different sets of problems that you need to solve. Ooh, yeah. That's um, rough. yeah. And, and these laws are, they're very difficult to interpret. Uh, they're very, they're very hard on hospitals and medical providers in the sense that they assign a lot of liability to those people if, mm. um, if there's breaches of medical data 
And they were written in the 90s, like HIPAA was passed in 1995, and it hasn't done a particularly good job of keeping pace with the realities of, you know, what big medical data means now, especially since after the Affordable Care Act, we effectively had something like, before the Affordable Care Act, there was something like 10%, 20% maybe, of medical records that were electronic, and now we're past 75%, we're something like 80%. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that was because of the Affordable Care Act. And so we just have this explosion of medical data that the laws haven't kept up with. And so before, medical data was more for individual patient cases, uh, like, oh, what does my file say? Whereas now, the opportunities are, are much more numerous and potentially much larger as well in, in terms of like so- solving some of the diseases that we face. Well, yeah. So you have this wealth of medical data that's locked away in EMRs, electronic medical records, or sometimes you hear them called EHRs, electronic health records. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if you can aggregate that data, you know, keep it anonymized, keep it de-identified, which is tricky. That's Um, a problem in and of itself. Yeah, it, it really is. But let's say that you, you know, you have a good privacy algorithm that is or you know you have some differential privacy protections or there's you know there's ways that you can that you can protect people's um right confidentiality about this stuff so you imagine that's a solved problem um it, yeah so it is and it isn't it it gets really tricky really fast and i'll tell you right. why is because there aren't very solidly enforced standards about the way that this data is formatted and what data is taken. And this is the second part Uh. that makes data sharing really difficult is, um, and, and I mean this both in the sense of like what data is taken, how is it formatted? And also as technical standards, like what's the literal file format of these files Mm -hmm. so that if you have the medical records of Northwestern and the medical records of the university of Chicago, those hospital systems, and you were to somehow get them to agree to put them together into one system, if they're using different software systems, if they have different configurations, then it's entirely possible that there wouldn't be a good mapping from those uh, data sets onto each other. And so you're not going to be able to make that sort of master data set that has everything in it because they're always going to have these weird inconsistencies. Right. You know, there's going to yeah. be columns that's missing. It's, it's just a mess. Yeah, or there is a there's a column for let's say one feature in one data set and the same feature in another data set, but they collect slightly different information. Like maybe this collects it, uh, this one data set collects it in a particular way and uh, this other one uh, collects it to a slightly different standard. Oh, yeah. They define terms a little differently. So it's not just like the, the file format is incompatible and you have to reconcile that, but it's like the stuff that you're collecting could just incompatible totally this happens all the time i mean we were talking to a lot of researchers and they said one of the things that makes it really hard like here's a really simple example is let's say you're running a research study and one of the things that you collect from each patient is their age what age is that so here you want to say okay what's their birthday that would be the easy thing is what's their Mm -hmm. date of birth and you start to run a foul um well not a foul but it starts to become really tricky very quickly if you collect their exact date of birth, because that can be used to identify people very quickly. Um, Your birthday is usually pretty unique. And so what they'll say instead is, what's your age? And it's like, okay, so is this your age when you were diagnosed? (laughs) Is this your age when you're taken in, you know, for this round of treatment? If you had, if you're relapsing from previous episode and that episode was three years ago, you know, what age do you put there? Um, 
And so it starts to, you know, you think like, how old is this person? Can you think of something that could be a little bit more straightforward? But immediately right. you realize that, you know, that, and there's no, there's no like strictly held convention on what we mean by people's age. And so people, people do what makes sense, you know, within research groups, they're usually pretty careful. But these are the kinds of things that then when you go to try to combine the data sets, it can get really, really hairy really quickly. Right now you've got noise in your age that's at least within a year, but in some cases, like you said, could be more than that. Yeah, and and this is challenging. Like if you don't fix these problems, and this isn't just about you know age. It's it can be things like how do you identify certain genetic markers in a genome, or hmm. how do you how do you say what a successful outcome is of a of a mm-hmm. you know patient treatment. Uh, we heard one story about. Um, there was this physician's group that was trying to, or a hospital that was trying to define like a successful outcome so they could keep track of it for their internal metrics. And it took them 18 months to decide (laughs) what a successful outcome was. Yeah. So, and, but the other thing I was about to say is that there's this whole issue that surrounds, uh, that surrounds this called data harmonization. And that's explicitly the idea that you might have data sets from many different sources each of which has their own what they call batch effects, their own special characteristics that are just signatures of the way that that the data was collected or that it was processed. And those batch effects can sometimes have a a bigger magnitude, a bigger effect on the outcome than the actual effect, like the treatment effect that you're trying to study. So, Mm. you know, these aren't like minor issues. These are issues that can potentially destroy, you know, the ability for you to actually get any scientific insights out of your research. So it's a really That's big pretty deal rough. and it's really hard. Yeah. So infrastructure is number one. Yep. Data sharing is number two. Yep. What's our third? Our third is uh, what we call people and skills. So imagine you have your gigantic, beautiful computational infrastructure. You've addressed some of these like legal and standards concerns so that you can get the data going in there. You can, you can get people to be able to like access each other's data through this system. Um, The third thing is you need to have people who are capable of using that system and who have the skills that we need to actually get the insights out of the data. And so we were thinking of this in two different ways. One is um, there's kind of a lack of, bioinformaticians, biostaticians, these kind of biologically educated data scientist types. Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them, but there's just not enough to keep up with the demand of the research that needs to happen in this field. And there's also a lot of people who are not technically trained and realistically, you know, probably never, never really will be. It's not within uh, the realm of what they're working on. I'm thinking of maybe your more traditional you know, biologists or nurses or doctors, you know, these are people that we shouldn't ask to become computer scientists so they can work with the data. Um, so that right, means that it's yeah. up to us as the technical people in the field. Well, us, you know, the people who are, who are working in this field as, as statisticians and as, um, software engineers and things like that. Um, it's up to them to build tools that are accessible and that actually get the data out and, you know, deliver the insights to the people who are actually on the ground and need to use those, those data-driven insights, you know, hashtag to, to actually do better, you know, deliver better medicine. Got it. So infrastructure, data sharing, and people and skills, people and skills. Do you feel of actually, first of all, I should ask uh, before we close out the episode, 
where can people find this paper? Is it is it available for free? Oh, yeah. So we wrote about a 30-page white paper, um, and this went to the vice president and um, and a number of other people who were associated with the moonshot. This is available on the Civis Analytics website. They'll ask for your email um, just because they want to keep track of who's downloading uh, papers from our website, but it's totally right. free. Um, and there's also a series of blog posts that I wrote a couple and then one of my other, um, my colleagues on this project wrote the third one where we broke out each of the sort of three big planks that we talked about. So you can also uh, check those out and we will have all the links uh, in the notes on our new website, lineardigressions.com. So go check that out. Fantastic. And uh, I guess my last question for you is when you started this project, you probably had some kind of mental understanding of how involved it would be and perhaps the this, this size or the scope of the project. How did that mental model change as you went through the project? Um, that's an interesting question. Well, I think we came in not realizing how much work there was to do, not for us, but for the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we thought it was, we would come in and it would be, we would talk to some people and realize that there were three big data sets and we just have to figure out how to like unify those data sets. And we would, you know, tell them a little bit about the wonders of you know, databases or I don't know. Um, yeah. And, and like it would be uh, a more was, tractable problem. Yeah. That was really, really not what we found. It's a very, um, it's very confederated and, and decentralized the work that's being done around cancer. And, and, it's getting better. There's, I think, a lot of recognition that that's not the most effective way to do this work, but it's just really, really hard to build this stuff. And if it had been that straightforward, they would have done it already. Um, and so, yeah, there was no, there was no, there was low hanging fruit in the sense that everyone we talked to says like, yeah, we're going to need reforms of the legal regulations. And yeah, we mm. need more people who know how to do biology and computers. Um, but actually saying, like, how do we accomplish that was really hard. And I think the other thing the other thing that we maybe didn't anticipate was when we started, we were like, okay, so we're going to do some, we're going to do some interviews and we're going to get the lay of the land and then we're going to write a report and like da, da, da. And at a certain point, you realize that you're just never going to be able to get everything. Like we had a few months to put this together and obviously there are tens of thousands of very smart and dedicated people who spend their lives learning how to do this. So of course we're never we're never going to be able to get to capture all of that. But it was very humbling to get a sense of the scope of the work that's going on. And I think at some point near the end of it we counted up all the interviews that we did. And you know, I think these were even just the formal interviews that we took notes on. We had probably many more informal interviews besides, but we we were at almost 50 by the time we were done, you know, f- hour-long interviews. Wow. Um, there's just an incredible amount of stuff that's going on out there. And every one of these interviews, you you learn something new and you get a more nuanced idea of why this is hard. Um, like I said, if it were easy, they would have fixed it already. So um, it was it was simultaneously really difficult, but also... As the data scientists in this conversation, you know, most of the other people working on the cancer moonshot are cancer researchers. And us as the people who are kind of 
observing from the outside and saying what it seemed like made sense to us. Mm -hmm. That was a really empowering position to be in, to have this very broad view and to, you know, sometimes feel like we could walk into a room and, and say something that honestly might upset some people sometimes about, you know, these are things that don't really make sense. And you're, you're spending a lot of money on these programs and sometimes they don't seem like they're going to work as well as some of the other programs. And right. But feeling like we had the freedom to say that because, you know, Mm. we, we had this very broad view and we also sort of had the, the data credibility to back it up. Um, One last thing I want to add before we wrap up is, so this team was, there were five or six of us at Civis Analytics who were working on this, but one little piece of trivia from inside of our project is on the first meeting that we had, we, we, we all downloaded a bunch of papers and we came up with a plan of attack for our work. And then, and then we went on Amazon and we bought a cardboard cutout of the vice president because yes. this is his project. And so we have a, we have a cardboard cutout now that lives in our office and he came to every single one of our meetings. And so did he say anything? Uh, he just stood there smiling at us. He was like, <laughs> he was like our, you know, fourth musketeer, so to speak. That's amazing. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.